This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Indeed, Sandy and Sean, Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. I'm Sandy Clough. Sean Rotar is off. We'll be returning tomorrow. Dr. Rick Perry has been sitting in for the week, uh, at least uh, for the past three days. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340. We're streaming on MileHighSports.com slash listen. If you're watching, MileHighSports.com slash watch, of course, and the free MileHighSports app. Producers, the great Danny Bailey, and in the first hour, our guests were Jerry Knaffel, the girls' head basketball coach at Arapahoe High School, and Jessica Caldwell, the girls' head basketball coach at Ballard Christian High School. They will be playing uh, in an event on November 18th uh, designed to promote mental health awareness. It is a fundraiser, and they've done, as you well know, Rick Perea, very well with this venture. Yeah. Uh, two of the top high school programs in the state, girls or boys, and they are collaborating in this way. Uh, uplifting way to start the show today. It is. It's just so pleasing to see this because for many of you listeners and viewers, you know I spend a good deal of time in pro sports and college sports. And to go back to the high school level and help some of these teams out and just see the pure joy and love they play with. I mean, I have more fun with that girls team at Arapaho. They do a dance before before every game in the locker room and they just got so much camaraderie and togetherness mm-hmm. and love and it's it's just so fun to for me to come back and help some high school teams out. It it's been it's been some of the funnest times in my career. Yeah, and uh, two of the great programs. Yeah. Uh, high school programs in the state, in the region, um men or women uh regardless of that and uh, they're both uh, terrific coaches and, and wonderful people, as we saw yeah. uh, here during the first hour of our program today. We talked about what uh, should be expected of Sean Payton as a leader, the head coach of the Broncos. What about the quarterback, Russell Wilson, who has had, uh, uh, we call it, uh, the two halves of Russell Wilson mm-hmm. uh, this year. In the first half, his uh, QBR, which is a 1 to 100 metric that we can understand a little bit better than passer rating. This is quarterback rating, 93.0 in the first half. In the first half of the first three games, he's been the best quarterback in the National Football League. In the second half, that drops from 93.0 to 17.1. Wow. That is number 30 among qualifying quarterbacks Yeah, in the NFL. There has to be some psychological Absolutely. aspect to this, doesn't it? Yeah. To go from being the best and after halftime intermission, one of the worst. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things that happens at halftime is adjustments. Adjustments yes. with coaches, adjustments with players. And if you look at this on, on a quantitative level, the adjustments are not working. If you look at it on a qualitative level, his body language his facial expression or lack thereof, it's not working. So I think there's a real disconnect. So it seems like a different guy in the second yes, half. Yes, he is. He literally is. Even a though the Broncos person. have been ahead in the second half in two of their three games. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I'm a psychologist. I'm always going to come back to human behavior and its origin. We call that the etiology, the origin of behavior. His etiology is his mood. You see him, his facial expression. 
When is the last time you ever saw Russell Wilson truly, truly get pissed off? I mean, from the core. Like Not a Tom, at all. Like a Tom Brady. Get angry? Remember Tom Brady? With, yes. Pa- oh, Peyton Manning even would go to the offensive lineman like, we got an effing block. Uh, we got yeah. you know. Right. I mean, get. Oh, Brady Jim, would take on yes. Josh McDaniels, yes. Bill O'Brien yes. on the sidelines. Okay. So con- when they were offensive coordinators yeah. of the New England Patriots. So conversely, when's the last time you truly saw an authentic smile from Russell Wilson on a football field? Not in a TV commercial. No. Okay. No. Not with his family. But on the football field, a true authentic smile. So it goes both ways, Sandy. There's there's a there's this lack of authenticity to his personality. And I'm not calling him down as a man, as a person. What I'm saying is he is we call it a PE fit, a person environment fit. It's not a good PE fit for him right now. And I'm not sure if that's forevermore from now on or what, but he's gotta get that together. He can still throw the ball. He's that's evident. Yeah. He can still run yeah. at times, not as much as he has. No, but but the environment fit, the PE fit for him emotionally and psychologically, Sandy, it re, it stands out like a, the color blinking orange to me when I see his face, when I see him on the sidelines, not leading people. The only time he tends to lead is after they score a touchdown. Then all of a sudden his mood goes like this, yes. and then he starts Correct. dapping oh, everybody up. Okay. Pumping and dapping everybody yeah. up on the sideline. But right. where is that energy when you're three and out? When you're three and out, that's when you really need leadership from your quarterback. I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, it is hard to see. It really hasn't been there. Uh, give you another measure of QBR, which makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> uh, this offense is designed so that the quarterback gets rid of the ball quickly. That mm-hmm. has not been Russell Wilson's tendency through the years. Yeah, He sometimes successfully will hold on to the ball, yep. buy time, um, improvise, yes, sir. make plays, as they say, off script. His QBR this year, when he does what this offense seems to demand of the quarterback, is 48.1 below mm. average mm. when holding the ball two and a half seconds or less. That's 36th in the NFL. Mm. When he's doing it the way he's generally always done it, holding the ball for longer than two and a half seconds, he's sixth in the league in QBR. Mm. So your supposition supports my postulation and my hypothesis that it's not a good P.E. fit. Exactly. When when he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's not successful. He's not successful. When he's doing things. The way he always did. He always did. He's successful. He's successful and much more successful than he was uh, last year. Here's another one that is kind of inexplicable. He's third in QBR on play action Mm. this year. The whole deal yeah. last year was that they didn't run enough play action. Yeah. Russell's good at play action, although statistically he was 24th in the league last year in QBR mm-hmm. among qualifying quarterbacks. But this year he's third on play action. Now, a lot of that's in the first half. Yeah, I understand. For some reason in the second half, even in the two games that were close, I understand it the other day when they were yeah. way behind, but even the two games that were close where they had leads in the second half, they were throwing the ball. Yeah. Like they were behind, not right. ahead. 
he is third against disguised coverages, which I thought was a problem for him last year. Mm. He, he's doing well. He's number one with five completions on throws so far this year that have traveled at least 30 yards in the air. He had only 10 such completions all of last year. He's yeah. already got five this year. So the deep ball has been working better for him. But getting back to holding the ball again, mm-hmm. while he has personally fared well, he's being pressured at the second highest rate in the NFL. He gets to the end of his drop, and we both observe this, and still this year, at least he's not running around in circles mm-hmm. like he was last year when yeah. he got to the end of his drop and didn't seem to know what to do, couldn't decide, well, maybe I should run. Oh, no, right. I, I've got to stay in the pocket, and I've got advisors telling me one thing, and i got coaches telling me another thing, and I want to do a third thing. He's freezing now. Now, is he freezing because no one's open? And or he doesn't know where to go with the ball? Is he getting used to a new offense and freezing because he's not comfortable in the new offense yet? Is it poor receiver play? Entirely possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The supposedly uh, most consistent of the Bronco wide receivers, if not the most productive year after year, has been Cortland Sutton. Mm -hmm. He had a nice statistical game last night with catches and yards last Sunday. He also fumbled the ball twice and dropped what appeared to be a short (laughs) touchdown pass. So poor receiver play could be a part of it. Is he not seeing what he expects? And when he doesn't see what he expects, he has no answers. Mm. And, of course, on the other side of the ball, Denver defensively is pressuring on 20.4% of opponent dropbacks this year. That is far and away dead last in the NFL. So it's pretty fundamental but perhaps somewhat psychological after a while that for whatever reason, the quarterback is not getting protection and defensively the opposing quarterback might as well be in a rocking chair. He's never (laughs) getting hit. Yeah. Never getting pressure. Yeah. Less so than any other team in the league pressures the quarterback. Right. Well, let's go back to the term freeze. 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 At the when end of his drop, he just yeah. seems to freeze. Yeah, and I saw him freeze. I saw him do what I've pretty much never seen a quarterback do. He got in the pocket, the pocket collapsed, and he just curled up and waited to get sacked. Just right. waited. Right. He I waited to get sacked. Yeah. And I'm like, how come that didn't happen when I played? The quarterback's <laughs> waiting to get sacked. Yeah. Um, here's what happens. So from a psychological perspective, There's what's called the autonomic nervous system. There's a sympathetic side and a parasympathetic. Sympathetic is when where stress and anxiety live. Parasympathetic is where calm lives. Now, there's four things. There's thinking, heart rate, respiration, and muscle tension. When you're in the parasympathetic, you're calm. You're relaxed. You're thinking clearly. When you're in the sympathetic, you're stressed. Your heart rate's up. Your respiration's up. Your muscle tension's up. When you freeze, you're in the sympathetic side. So there is so much psychology that becomes physiology. So the thinking influences that autonomic nervous system. You go on the sympathetic side. Now you have muscle tension. Now your thinking's narrowed. Now your heart rate's up. Your respiration's up. 
that's where stress lives, and you freeze. The other players who are on the parasympathetic side, heart rate's relaxed, breathing's relaxed, no muscle tension, clarity of thinking. Those are the players that process in the pocket. They extend plays with their feet. They make plays like they're out in the sandlot, like they're out in the park. And it's that free for them and and productive. So that's what I see with him from the scientific side is he's living on his sympathetic side where stress and anxiety live instead of playing on the parasympathetic side. But as you put, when he's able to extend plays and play like he's played in the past, he's on the parasympathetic. And that's where he's having success. So the memo, I guess. In other words, when he doesn't freeze. Right, when he doesn't freeze. He's able to operate on that parasympathetic. So the memo is let him play like he knows how to play. Yeah, yeah. And we can be on the parasympathetic side, and here we go. A lot of people thought when Sean Payton was hired, from the day one he was hired, his preference is for quarterbacks to stay in the pocket and get rid of the ball quickly. And that does not match up with the way Russell Wilson, historically, during his best years even, has preferred to play quarterback. Yeah. That's the, it, so the, the philosophy and the style clash. Yeah. And here's what it is, Sandy. That is so egocentric to say his preference. It should never be your preference as a coach. You match your personnel with your scheme. It doesn't matter what your preference is. You have to match your personnel with your scheme. It reminds me of John Elway, 1983. He's, you know, Dan Reeves is trying, John Hadle, his quarterback coach, is trying, right. to, trying to make him into a pocket it, passer. It, it, which John Hadle was. Right. And a very good one and during his plane. But day. John at Stanford always broke pocket and he moved right. around. Right. So exactly. when John felt pressure, he'd break pocket. And I remember Coach Reeves, because I was in training right. camp with him as a free agent linebacker, Coach would say, no, stay in the pocket, go through your progressions. And John kept breaking pockets. Here's what was So there was weird, that conflict. Because Dan was a player coach at, yeah. the, at the end of his playing career. He's a combination player and coach with Dallas, um, offensively on the staff, uh, helping Tom Landry. Roger Staubach played for Dallas. <laughs> he went off script all the time. He ran all over the place. All over the place, huh? So Dan Reeves gets to Denver. Right. He has John Elway, whose hero growing up was right. Roger Staubach. Yeah. Wanted to play like him. Right. From the day he first saw Roger Staubach play, I want to play like him. And Dan Reeves tries to make him into Craig Morton. Yeah. Exactly. You know now, why? Dan Reeves did a hell of a job with Craig Morton. He did. Because he didn't try to change him. Craig, right. Craig couldn't move anyway. Yeah. But Craig Morton was a, the prototype pocket passer throughout his career. He was once... Uh, a baseball player, Cal, and a terrific athlete, and very much like Joe Willie Namath, who came out the same year that Craig Morton did. They both had knee injuries in college, and by the time they got to the NFL, they weren't mobile. Well, nobody tried to make Joe Namath into a rollout passer, at least of all Weeb Eubank. And it, 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 so Reeves was good with Morton, and, and, in fact, Craig Morton's best year in the NFL came with Dan Reeves yeah. in 1981 when Craig was 37 years old, I think. Yeah. The best year of his life. Yeah. But Reeves didn't try to change him, but he tried to change Elway and make him a pocket passer, uh, particularly. And, and Craig 
actually came along a little bit later on and was the quarterback's coach Yeah, after John Hadel. Right. But both John Hadel and Craig Moore were pocket passers. Let me tell you what happened. This is rumor, but I believe it to happen. There was an assertion that when John Elway came out, first pick in the draft, 1983, right. Right. that John Elway had a rocket for an arm, which he did. Yeah. He did. And they said, if we can just get him to sit in that pocket, go through his progressions, he's going to be an amazing NFL quarterback. What he was doing at Stanford was effective, but it was hard on his body, hard on his sure. knees. Oh, yeah. So even his dad thought he's going to be a really good pocket passer in the NFL. Which he later actually did become. Actually became <laughs> that. But it took time. For the West Coast offense it, and Shanahan. It took time. Yeah. yeah. So here's a case where... Dan may have tried to make him into a pocket passer too quickly overnight yes. Yes. instead of, you know, systematically right. doing it. Right. And here we have it again. Some 40 years later, we have a coach trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. Yes. And I think once we begin to realize now, I will say this. Russell Wilson's not the quarterback he once was. He's just not. He's just he doesn't look the same. He doesn't no. run as well. No. But he's serviceable for another season. If you allow him to play the game he's allowed to play when he's on the parasympathetic. And right. I know if Sean Payton were to listen to this, he would go, the heck does this parasympathetic have to do with it? That's my point. Yeah. You need yeah, to yeah. understand how psychology influences physiology. And when you understand that, then you will maximize the potential of your quarterback. My favorite new metric for quarterbacks and the athletic every week comes out with a ranking of quarterbacks, all the qualified quarterbacks in the league. Expected points added per dropback. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, and every week they, they have four categories. They have that one. Expected points added per dropback overall. Expected points added per dropback from the previous week. Your passer rating overall and your passer rating from the previous week. Um, one quarterback is number one in each one of those four categories. <laughs> it won't surprise you that that <laughs> one quarterback is coached by your old friend Mike McDaniel. Yep. It's Tua. Yeah. First in EPA per dropback overall last week. Almost ridiculous. Every time he dropped back to pass, it was effectively a point mm. on the scoreboard for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. A and his passer rating overall this season – 121.9. He was almost perfect last week. Perfect is 158.3. He was 155.8. Well, he threw three incompletions. Yeah, yeah. All. Oh, my gosh. It, it couldn't be perfect. <laughs> but it, that's that's what's remarkable uh, it, it, to me. And you know his number two in EPA per drop back throughout the season? Brock Purdy. Mm. Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. And, who people still knock when he's not perfect. Right. But. He's second in EPA overall per dropback. He's fourth in EPA from last week's game against the Giants. He's fourth in passer rating, and he's seventh. Uh, his passer rating last week was 111.3. Mm -hmm. He's terrific. He is. Yeah. He's terrific. Yeah. And it allowed the 49ers to trade Trey Lance, not get very much back in return, but Brock Purdy, and I'm – I still believe Trey Lance has the physical tools to be a terrific quarterback, but Brock Purdy's the real deal. 
in any game he started or at least played three quarters in, they've won every game. Brock, they can't do any better than that. Brock Purdy is the real deal from the neck up. That's Look at key. his mood. Look at him, how he communicates with people. Neck up, he's amazing. And his teammates love him. And his teammates love him. loved him the first time he was in the huddle. And Shanahan was worried about that. He's like, hey, I'm sticking this rookie in. At the last pick in the draft, his teammate, I'm going to have to coach the team up to support him and all that. And he didn't have to do any of that because his teammates respected him the first time he came into the huddle and took charge in the huddle. Because we and knew what he was doing. We undervalue the yes, neck that, up yeah, influence on sport go. performance. Even Kyle Shanahan thought, yes. you know, I've got to work on his teammates a little bit. He didn't have to do anything. It is 522 as we continue with uh, much more ahead. On Mile High Sports, Sandy Clough, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar. Stay with us. Sandy Clough and Sean Rotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar. Sean is off today. He'll be returning tomorrow, and tomorrow we will talk about that blockbuster NBA trade at some length because it does have an impact on the Nuggets, however indirectly. Uh, Damian Lillard traded out of uh, Portland all the way back east to Milwaukee, not to Miami, not to Brooklyn, not to Toronto, three of the teams who were prominently mentioned as having interest in trading for Damian Lillard. He ends up going to the Bucks, and we'll get into the particulars of the transaction tomorrow in great detail here on the program. But I want to ask Rick Perea a question that comes out of a, a good column by Mark Kislin in the Denver Post today, headlined, Murray Nuggets don't care if Bucks traded for Dame. And, of course, he combines now with Giannis. Antetokounmpo, both were 30-point-plus per game scores last year. Seems like uh, a terrific combination, one, and two, an effort by the Bucks to keep Giannis in Milwaukee yes. when Giannis soon becomes a free agent. Bring in Damian Lillard and, and go for a second championship. Uh, the Bucks seem to have been slipping a little bit over the last couple of years since they won. And... They're trying to reverse that. But the point of Mark Kisler's column is that a man you know well, Jamal Murray, Mm -hmm. will not at all be affected by wherever Damian Lillard plays or how good that plays for the Milwaukee Bucks this year, how how well that plays out. And uh, Kisler writes, here's the best reason I can give you to believe Denver can win back-to-back championships. This season is the chance for Murray to be truly recognized as the all-NBA player he has audaciously strived to become. And I think that's very well put. He's been that player in the playoffs. During the regular season, he hasn't even been an all-star yet, much less all-NBA. And Kisler continues, well, we all know Nuggets center Nikola Jokic is the best basketball player on the planet. It's Murray who instills Denver with its, and here where you, here's where you come in, it's defiant, mess around, and find out edge that every championship team needs. 
I think that's pretty well put. You know Jamal Murray. Yes. You know that sometimes he almost has to be protected from himself. He's so driven. Yes. Yes. But I I do believe that, first of all, Jokic wouldn't care if (laughs) Damian Lillard played in the same conference for another team next year. Yeah. Let's say he played for Phoenix next year. Yeah. He wouldn't care. Murray would look at it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That well, Damian Lillard is still regarded as an all-star, something that Jamal Murray has never been. This will, I think, all this talk now that the Bucks and the Suns have loaded up during the offseason to challenge the Nuggets, one from the West, one from the East, with the Nuggets kind of in the middle. And Murray... Uh, is the kind of individual it would seem who would respond to that with kind of a defiance that, you know, of all these guards being traded around, Bradley Beal going to Phoenix and now Lillard going to Milwaukee. I'm better than either one of them. Yeah. Jamal's an interesting character from the neck up. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, in my time with the nuggets, I was able to work with him and, um, you know, hang out with him, and really kind of understand his motive, his motivation. We call that his modus operandi. That's kind of how he reacts in certain situations. And there is a defiance to him. There is a defiance to him that um, sometimes rubs people the wrong way, and a lot of people don't always see that. Um, I think it's worked to his advantage for the most part, but it's hurt him at times too. Um, when he was injured, there were some times where there were some rocky roads with between him and the training staff and opinions about where he was in terms of his recovery and rehab. Right. Um, but I think overall, Jamal Murray is a professional and he comes to the, he comes to the arena prepared um, from the neck up and the neck down. He does it in a different way than, than, uh, than Jokic, than does, Jokic sure. does, um, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. Everybody's different in the locker room and um, you know, but, what I would love to see with, with Jamal this this season is to him put it, like you said, all together, the yeah. regular season and the yes. postseason. Yes. You know, this just not a, uh, you know, you know, just not a, a pinch hitter coming in at the end to help your team. I, I, you, you will be respected around the league much more. Not that you're not, yeah. but you haven't got the notoriety around the league right. yet because right. you haven't had it made it a full season. And I right. think – once he does that and puts that together consistently for two to three years, he will be, you know, one of the top five to seven players in the NBA on a consistent level. You know all these people uh, better than I do. But my thinking is that the best thing Jamal Murray ever did for himself and I thought it was contrary to his nature a little bit, was say at the end of the 21-22 season when everybody thought he would come back in February and then when it wasn't February, maybe March. And the Nuggets through most of the year were pretty good in supporting him Mm -hmm. on that. But at the end of the season, the tail end of the season, Tim Connolly went on the radio and said, Murray's been cleared to play. It's just up to him. Mm. Which I thought was an awful thing to say. Yeah. Clearly putting pressure on him to play. Right. 
And Michael Malone pretty much stood behind that. Yeah. Contrary to what Michael Malone had said all year, that he'll come back when he's ready and not a minute before, not a game too early or 10 games too early Mm -hmm. or 20 games too early. He'll come back at exactly the time he's ready for. Kind of changed his tune. And it was two guys in the Nugget locker room who stuck up for Murray and said, if I were him, I'd shut it down. And I admit Nikola Jokic and Aaron Gordon, yeah. to me, are the most mature guys on the team. Yeah. Who said, I don't care what anybody says, including our own people, he shouldn't come back. Yeah. For the playoffs? After not playing all year? Right. That's crazy. Coming yeah. off a torn ACL? Right. Very, very serious mm-hmm. injury. And in fact, you know who else advised him not to come back? A second before he was ready, Clay Thompson. Mm. who sat out about a year and a half, yeah, maybe even a little more than that. Now, I understand he had a torn Achilles in there, too, right. as well as a torn ACL. So it might have been two and a half years, actually. Yeah, But he took his time coming back from the ACL. Yeah. And from the Achilles injury. And Jamal Murray was hurt in San Francisco. And the first guy he saw after the game, from what I heard, was Clay Thompson, mm. who came in and said, don't let them rush you back. Yeah. yeah. That was very good advice. But I thought that was a turning point for Jamal Murray to not submit to that pressure mm-hmm. from his head coach and from the general manager of the team or the president of the team at the time to come back because he had been, quote-unquote, medically cleared to play. When he started last year, I thought they'd ease him into it, and I think they had that plan. He was fine. Yeah, it was a little up and down at the beginning, but he was much further along than I ever thought he'd be. Yeah. And he peaked during the playoffs, and he was tremendous. Yeah. Well, one thing that you said, the three people that encouraged him to not rush back were all players. All players. You know. Every one of them. And the people who And not only played, but star players. Yeah. Superstar players. And the people that were recommending to, uh, hey, you've been cleared for uh, to play, you know, and then it's kind of leaving that an open-ended yeah, statement. Kind those, of up to him. So fans were, all... were thinking, well, the guy's been cleared to play, right. and he doesn't want to play. Right. He doesn't want to play. Right. And we're paying him all this money, he doesn't want to play. Right. And so you look at that. It happens often on teams where you have a disconnect between the front office, yes. the players, and that's why teams don't win. That's another reason why teams don't win is there's a disconnect here. And I think that's one thing in Denver that, you know, the Nuggets have have really done a good job at is keeping their front office consistent with the mission and vision of Mike because, you know, they've gone through some changes in the front office. You know, yeah. Arturis is gone. Tim's gone. Yeah. You know, there's, it's changed. Yeah. And But yet they've still been able to build a climate and culture of, of uh, accountability, structure, and discipline, and that's resulted in them winning. So – I think Jamal Murray is is a, a up and coming player. I do think the Joker is probably the best all around player. You know, saying in in the league in the world in the league in the world. You know, he, I think he's, he's been that way for three years. Yeah, and 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 here's again. Let's talk about psychology. You talk about someone on the parasympathetic side. <laughs> oh my gosh, he is so chill all the time. All the time. All the time. On all the, the time. court, off the court, he does not change. Even when he gets mad. And he pushes someone. He's still on the parasympathetic. Yeah. The guy is just funny, goofy. 
silly. Remember he, when he got into it with the Phoenix owner? Oh yeah, last year, and then the next day, uh, or two days later, when they play the next game here in Denver, he walks up to him during the pregame warm with the ball and gives it. Yeah, gives him the ball exactly. You know, yeah, he has, he has that little nugget of being silly. Nugget, pun intended, by the way. He has that little nugget of being silly and goofy. And, you know, I, I remember after I first got to know him, I said, I'm going to get you a T-shirt that just says parasympathetic. Yeah. And he goes, what, Doc? Define that for me. Yeah. Define that. And I'm like, no. You know what? Uh, he's better off not knowing. <laughs> right, exactly. that right? He's better off not 100%. knowing. Does then you think about it. 100%. Yeah. Better off not knowing. He's just naturally that way. Yeah. And I've never, ever seen an athlete. We, we, we like to look at our athletes as type A personalities, right. driven, right. Uh, almost inventing yeah. slights. Yeah. Michael Jordan did it. Kobe did mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, Bird, I think, did it a little bit. Yeah. And Bird was the king of trash talking. All, all these guys seem the same. And then you run into someone like Jokic. I've never seen anybody like Jokic. No. And, he, and it's not just Who's on the court. He's a great player. Who's oh. a good, just an unbelievable player. And in his own way, a terrific competitor. I mean, you look at this guy. He sees the floor unbelievable. I mean, he just his vision is unbelievable. His shooting acumen is unbelievable. But what I love about him is off the floor in a press conference after they just win a world championship. And, you know, he's like he's talking about the parade like it's, oh, well, I got to stop by the dry cleaners or something. He's like, when is it? Friday? <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I'm gonna leave. I want to leave town by then, so I don't know if I'm gonna make well, it. But well, yeah, you know. I think what he honestly thought, <laughs> he thought maybe twenty thousand will show up at the parade. The people come to the yeah. games, the, yeah. the, the, like we have for our games. Right, twenty thousand people in the arena. They'll show up for the parade. He had no idea that it would be five hundred thousand, yeah. whatever it was. Right, uh, had no idea. Mm-hmm. And when he saw what it was, he was the life of the party. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad he stayed. And you know what? He's, I'll never forget this, Sandy, what he says to me. One day, it's shoot around before a game. And he looks at me and he goes, Doc, he goes, why you do what you do? And I said, yeah, because I love helping people. And he goes, you messed up too, aren't you? And I said, you are, you're right. I am messed up. He goes, he that's pretty, why you do this, because you're messed pretty up. Pretty insightful. And, and that's was, what your book's all about. Right, exactly. And, and it was so funny because he, he has a way of presenting content that penetrates, but it's still funny. It's still goofy. Right. It, you right. know, it's it's double-edged. He's very, very smart. He is but, very but, much so. But, and, and that proves it. And creative. Right there, to do what you do, you have to be a little messed up. Yeah. That's what Nick Saban said to you the first time he met you. Right? 100%. 100%. I hear people in your business are really screwed up. <laughs> right? That's what Nick Saban 100%. Told you, right? 100%. The first time and I'm just met. telling everybody out there, I'm pretty messed up. Sandy can yeah. testify yeah, to that. Yeah. Well, uh, we all are in our own uh, different ways. That's right. We'll uh, wrap things up when we continue right here on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clef, Sean Drotar. As you can hear, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean, who will be returning tomorrow. Stay with us. This is Sandy Clough 
and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Since we are uh, wrapping up with you, Dr. Perea, for uh, this week anyway, you'll be back for a uh, checkup from the neck up on Metal Monday. Yes, sir. 5 p.m. Yep. We'll talk to you again very soon. We uh, talked earlier about how the Broncos would react to the 50-point uh, licking they took from the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. How about Colorado reacting to a 42-6 loss the day before in Eugene, Oregon? And not getting the Chicago Bears of college football, instead <laughs> getting another top 10 ranked team in USC coming in here for a Saturday morning affair up in Boulder. Yeah. Well, I think USC is going to, um, I'll just be blunt, put it on them pretty good. I think that CU really needs Certainly to- with their offense, yeah, which well, is among the best in the country. Yeah. Well, and uh, Obviously, Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy winner. Sure, but I think I think CU needs to learn from last week and mm-hmm. this week um, in being coming humble to understand where their gaps are, where they can learn, mm-hmm. where they can get better. Um, I just think that you know confidence kind of speaks for itself, and arrogance has mm-hmm. to scream to get your attention. That's a great so, line. so you know, I I just want confidence speaks for itself, but arrogance has to scream has to scream for attention, yeah. you know, and it comes from a deficit base. Like I said, insecurity is the reason that people put themselves out there over and over and over again. Uh, you know, something that was said yesterday in the media got me again about Dion and a simple question like, you know, Jerry Rice's son plays over there, yeah. And, yeah, sure. you know, and, um, and once was at CU and once was at CU and he says, is that going to be fun to, to play against him? And and Dion, before the guy could even finish the question, said, I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. You know, come on. Do you have a heart? Do you have a soul in there? Just because you quote biblical things doesn't mean you have a heart. That's, that is fun. I know I've done that. I've experienced that in my life is, you know, former teammates or times people that I played against and their kids, our kids are playing against each other. It is fun. It is humanistic. I mean, I just think that Dion really needs to learn a lesson in that, you know, you can be vulnerable in this profession and be successful. You can be open and honest and true and be successful in this, in this industry. You don't, I mean, that's a shield. All that stuff he's talking about, the way he talks, the rhymes, bringing in all these entertainers, that is a shield, Sandy. That's not confidence. That's not confidence. It's sad to see. And as a psychologist, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of years studying human behavior. That is not confidence. That is arrogance. And when he learns to truly be in touch with his feelings, thoughts, and perceptions, he will then begin to understand that, you know, you don't pronounce that we're coming. Okay? What you pronounce is we're getting better. We're working hard. We will show up and compete. When you play the University of Colorado, you will know you're in a football game. That kind of stuff is fair. That's on the table. When you step into Folsom Field, you walk out of there, you're going to know you played against a well-coached, hard-playing team. That kind of stuff is fair. But when you say, we're coming, and you better get me now, and all these things like his son walking over to the Oregon players while they're stretching – I'll kick your, you know what, it and was your Shiloh, coaches too. Not, it was not Shador, no, it was Shiloh. It was Shiloh, and then and then early in the second quarter, a receiver ran right over him yeah. physically. So you know, B, 
be careful what comes out of your mouth because you may not be able to support it from the neck down. I would say up there in Boulder, Dion, compete, teach your players to compete, teach them to be true young men as student athletes, humble, confident. Sure, you can walk up to the guy. If you're a defensive end and you're playing against that offensive tackle, there's nothing wrong with looking over and saying, man, I got you all day. I own you. Uh, you know, but to be on the media constantly talking about this and with, with the gold chains and the throne and all that stuff, that comes from an insecure base. But you know what? I'm holding out hope that Dion learns from the lessons of this season because he's going to get humbled. He is going to get humbled. This isn't – USC is not the last, you know what, kicking they're going to get. They're going to get humbled several more times. And that's okay as long as he learns and grows. If he still keeps using the same, and I won't even call it rhetoric, propaganda, he's not going to learn. And that nobody's going to gain from that. So look forward to watching him. My son's headed up there. The the center, uh, yeah. Hank Zelinkas, Yeah, he's yeah. going with Ned Zelinkas, his little oh, brother yeah. who plays right. at Cherry Creek. Right. They're going to go up there and enjoy that game together. Well, um, it'll it'll get eyeballs, and there's, there's no doubt. I mean, 10.3 million people watched him last week. And uh, we talked about this yesterday a little bit. Many of those people stayed with the game because they liked the idea of Deion Sanders <laughs> getting his comeuppance, uh, perhaps yeah. as they as they perceived it, uh, anyway. But uh, I, I I did think the comment on on the Rice kid or kind of the dismissal of the Rice kid was interesting. Uh, even when they were teammates, uh, Deion Sanders and Jerry Rice were not friends uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So. I think deep down that's part of Dion's insecurity too, that when his son gets measure, uh, mentioned, it, it's a trigger of sorts because uh, he and Jerry Rice famously did not get along well, with, and, with the 49ers. Yeah. And uh, during a time when uh, I, I know I talked to Mike Shanahan about both guys, he loves them both. Yeah, but He thinks the world of both of them, but there was no doubt they did not get along. As teammates. But that fits because why didn't they get along? Why didn't they get along? You got one guy from from a small school in Mississippi right. who was the wolf climbing the mountain yes. and just played and just competed and competed yeah. and competed and became one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver in this era. And you got a guy that was a great player, great yeah. phenomenal athlete in Dion. But man, he had a mouth to to match it, and it was kind of funny as a player. Yeah. But when you become a coach, my my idea of a professional coach is you have a little bit more professional comportment. Sure, you can have humor. I love humor. I love. And he energy. does have a sense I love of humor. Passion. He does. He, he does he have does. a sense of humor. But you know what? I feel bad for him. I really do because there's so many things that he could be teaching these kids that he's not capitalizing right now. And there are kids up there right now that are uncomfortable, uncomfortable, Sandy, with the way they come into stadiums, with the way they travel. They're uncomfortable. Yeah. And they don't want to stay there. And people don't talk about that, okay? So, you know, I'm going to be as honest as I can always, and I'll, you know, I'll stand behind anything I say, but there are kids up there that are uncomfortable with their overt in the way they yeah. present themselves. Think about that. And it, it, I thought that, it, it, again, my perception that 
when they played at TCU, that was kind of the perfect environment for them because there, there was, it wasn't like Oregon right. last week. Yeah, they, the, the fans weren't like that. That's yeah. not really how things roll mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it, it was more of a subdued environment, and I didn't get the sense that there was much, if any, trash talking that took place during that game and there wasn't a grand pregame entrance or a lot of mouthiness in the middle of the field during the pregame with people shouting back and forth. And I thought their performance reflected that. I thought they projected confidence. And after the game, I thought for that one occasion, because they were huge underdogs Mm -hmm. and there were people out there, including the odds makers who had them winning two point, seven games, you know, between two and three games, take the over under on, on two, <laughs> two point, whatever. Uh, he was entitled to do a little bit of crowing, mm-hmm. but I thought Ed Werder, the longtime ESPN correspondent who, who used to write here for the Boulder daily camera on the Boulder daily camera was, yeah. it was a great newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, Dion recognized Ed Warder because Ed Warder for ESPN for years covered the Cowboys. Yeah. And, and was as good covering the Cowboys as any reporter was covering any team in the NFL for ESPN. And he recognizes Ed Warder after the game. And he apparently remembers something that even Ed Warder didn't really remember uh, from months ago on social media referring to Dion as a celebrity coach. But anyway, Dion starts to go after him a little bit and says, do you believe now? Mm. And Ed Warder's response, I thought was perfect. His response was in what? Right. I love it. In what? In what? And Dion was a little flustered because that wasn't the quick response. He said, <laughs> you know, there are things that we all wish we could say yeah. uh, thinking back hours later on it. He said it on the spot. And Dion, well, I guess you don't believe. And and it, it wasn't the it was the perfect response. But even what? Right. But the reason Dion didn't have a comeback to that because he has these quips that are rhymes that are playoff words, but they don't have any content because he should have been able to say in collaboration and cohesion yeah. in all the things that it takes you believe in yes those things, but he right, didn't right, because right. Dion doesn't have a plan he has a cult okay here we go that we could be uh, here's another thing you said that we could be a team when all the talk in the offseason yeah. was we had all these new players coming from different directions do you believe now that we have built a cohesive collaborative team right from the way we perform today right Here's what's going on. They are building a culture by default, not a culture by design. And when you build a culture by design, you have a plan. You have a systematic plan in the way you recruit. You have a systematic plan in your in your coaching staff, in the way they approach the, the team every day in their meetings and in practice. They do not have a culture by design. So in effect, they have a culture by default that is laden with his knowledge and competency level. Again, love is energy, love is passion, but he doesn't have a competency of understanding organizational performance. Of course, he would say, just because I do it unconventionally doesn't mean it can't work. Uh, It's not going to work without 
content and support and a foundation. It can be unconventional, but you'd like to see more content. Yeah, you can build a house that's very unconventional, but it has a solid foundation on it. Right. Okay, but you can't build a house without a foundation. That's never going to change. The foundation Mm -hmm. will never change. It's been a blast. I love it. Thank you for having me for these three days. You're the best. We appreciate it. Thank you. Biggest heart in Colorado. Love you, brother. Thank you. And uh, John will be returning tomorrow, and we'll uh, re-engage with uh, Dr. Rick Perea on Checkup from the Neck Up Metal Mondays on Monday, upcoming at 5 p.m. right here on Mile High Sports. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.